0: Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is
1: Believe. He's been here. High fly, fly
2: ball into right field. She is gone. He's been there. Magic down the middle, just what I thought. A hook shot at 12. Good. He's been everywhere.
1: Shot from there and a save and a rebound. Yes! Score. Kings yes, win the cup. Sobel. That's one small step for man. Ted Sobel. The man,
2: the myth, the legend.
1: What the hell's going on out here?
2: Now, one-on-one with Ted Sobel. Hello, friends. Jim Nance here, and you're
0: listening to Touching Greatness. Yes, this is a wonderful tradition. You could say unlike any other with ted sobel right here and welcome to my very special touching greatness retrospective podcast here on the believe network we lost the great bart star this past weekend at the age of eighty five Bart is not only going down as one of the great quarterbacks in the history of the National Football League, but one of the real class human beings ever. And the words greatest and icon are passed around way too common these days, but those are words that definitely label Bart Starr. He was not only an outstanding football leader and maybe the greatest field general the game has ever seen but a special person off the field too, giving back so much to his community and many many others and i thought this was a great opportunity to go back to two thousand and fourteen when i had the most unbelievable opportunity to sit down with bart at his office in birmingham alabama it was the day after covering my first masters tournament in augusta georgia And Bart and I had talked several times over the years on the phone, saying, if I'm ever in the area, please give him a call. Well, to me, Augusta, Georgia was close enough to Birmingham, Alabama, and probably as close as I'll ever get. And it was about a four-hour drive. Called him up. He said, let's have lunch. And it was just a fantastic day. Spent about three hours with the man, including him showing me around his office where Some great old Packers pictures were on the wall and a Vince Lombardi bronze statue on his desk that he was so proud of. And for a kid who grew up in Los Angeles as a Green Bay Packers fan in the 60s and watching the Pack almost every weekend it seemed like on TV with the great voice of Ray Scott calling the games. And just remembering star to Dowler, star hands off to Jim Taylor, star to Max McGee. Ray Nitschke, Dave Robinson, you can go on and on and on with the amount of incredible talent on that team for one of the truly greatest dynasties in the history of the sport and certainly the first great one that will never be forgotten. And of course, Bard Starr won 5 NFL titles including being the MVP for Super Bowls 1 and 2, and I've always focused on Super Bowl 1 since it was in my hometown of LA at the Coliseum where I was supposed to go to the game. My father had a couple of tickets, but he ended up giving them back because, well, he didn't expect it to be much of a game, and most people didn't. The Packers were huge favorites. They went on eventually to win handily over the Kansas City Chiefs, so I never did get a chance to go to that game. But I told Bart about it a few times, he always got a couple of nice laughs out of it, and then finally to sit down with him and reminisce, there was nothing better. Another game that always fascinated me was the Ice Bowl in 1967, which turned out to be Vince Lombardi's final game coaching in Green Bay before winning Super Bowl II and then retiring briefly before one last stint with the Washington Redskins. And imagine hanging with your boyhood idol as an adult And telling him the story, what it was like to be sitting in your living room, watching him and all of his buddies freezing their asses off with temperatures in the minus teens at Lambeau Field. And they go all the way down on the final drive on the Bart Star sneak with 13 seconds left to pull off that victory. And to tell Bart to his face what it was like, and then saying, I know you guys just tried to warm up in the locker room. I got on a bus and headed to Santa Monica Beach, thinking, you guys must be crazy to be sitting in that weather, playing and watching football. Those are special memories for me, and even more special, because I had a chance to share them with the great Bart Starr. But now I get a chance to share our interview from 2014, and I hope you enjoy it. Bart, first of all, what a life, huh? You go from Alabama, the University of Alabama, to Wisconsin, and you live your life in, in a beautiful city. You have to feel blessed.
1: You certainly do. I'm, I like your wording, you have to feel blessed, because uh, I don't know what else could describe it. I've been richly blessed with a wonderful wife of uh, 60 years, and she doesn't even look 60 years old. <laughs> and uh, it's just been an absolute joy And then to have been associated with the great people that I have been from players and coaches and businessmen and others, I have richly, richly been blessed. Let's
0: talk about the start and a 17th round draft pick, right? (laughs) How does a 17th round draft pick end up a five-time NFL champion?
1: With a tremendous assistance and coordination uh, of others because they, I need not tell you this, Because you're very familiar. But but there are many people who are totally unaware of what team truly means. And I made this comment to my assistant over here just a few days ago. Ironically, we were talking about that. But spell it. Together, everyone achieves more. Hmm. And you get an indication of how strong that word is.
0: How much did you learn from your college coach on to Vince Lombardi about how important truly a team is, even though obviously the quarterback either takes the blame or all the credit?
1: I didn't learn that much uh, coming out of college because there were some changes. But uh, Coach Lombardi was so driven that – It was easy to understand why he was going to emphasize the needs and the strength of that word. And uh, so it was a great, great blessing for all of us who had the opportunity uh, when he came to Green Bay. When
0: he did first come to Green Bay, how much did you know about him? Because he was an assistant coach before that. Did it take like one day until, they? this guy's different?
1: (laughs) Well, not exactly, but uh, we were given information about him from the organization the Packers so we could be reading about his background his history and so forth and so I was reading as fast as I could to try to get as much information as I could
0: what do you remember that uh, the adjustment from a new to a new coach at the time
1: well that uh, his background where he was from and so forth and uh, I'm not sure you're aware of this or not but he and Tom Landry uh, both coached coached at West Point yep And so when you study and and see things like that, you have to realize how blessed those two were to have been at that same very classical institution uh, as they were.
0: I know I've seen comments from a lot of your players from that era saying it didn't take long after a few practices to say this guy's different and there's something about him. We want to win for him in a different way.
1: Can you describe that? Yes, because when I mentioned before, the meetings that we held uh, were just dynamite. I could hardly wait till the next one, really, before uh, the next one. And so, yes, it was. And when you were in those meetings, you had an indication of the strength of this man. Because, and that's why I wanted to go and be there for the next one sooner, because I was so pumped about going to that next session, and it was unbelievable. I remember seeing one thing from you once when you said
0: Vince yelled at me in front of everybody and you took him privately and then he never did it again. Can you, do you remember the circumstances?
1: Well, that was just something that I don't think was any uh, ill intent necessarily, right. but it was, that was the way it happened. Right. And I didn't feel like a, a quarterback could be yelled at in front of everybody else and maintain that leadership stance that he needed. And so I did, and I just respectfully asked him, I said, can I see you for a couple of minutes this morning before our meeting? He said, sure, come on in. And that's what I asked him, and he said, you got it.
0: (laughs) And it never happened again? Nope. That's great. So the first few years he was there, I know you you evolved into a really good team before a great team. Did you see that phenomenal
1: stretch coming? We felt it. Did you? I think we did because those meetings were were so well-organized well-disciplined, informative, helpful. Gosh, you could hardly wait as you finish one meeting to want to go to another one. And That's so unusual, it was, too, in football, yes, isn't it? Yes, it is. And, but he was an outstanding teacher, and I think he was very sensitive to what we had been through there at Green Bay. We had been struggling and so forth. And he was capitalizing on all of those situations to make it even better.
0: I love the fact that people don't even know this. And I I tell them all the time about you, that you lost your first playoff game and never lost another one. I mean, that is unbelievable. What do you remember about the feeling of playing in those playoff games, being different and just being special and knowing you guys were all world and could beat anybody at any time?
1: Sensational feeling, wonderful feeling. Just a driving force kind of feeling. There were all kinds of words I could put to this and with this to explain it, but it was just a fabulous experience and something that, because of that, you just you do remember it forever. And I'll be I'm grateful that I was in a situation like that and have that benefit.
0: How about the first championship that you won?
1: What do you remember most about that one? How tough it was! In that we had never been in one, right? And so we had to really work and struggle, and make absolutely certain that we didn't hurt ourselves, and certainly not beat ourselves. And so it was a it was a tough challenge, tough fight.
0: What do you remember about the game itself? Anything stand out at all?
1: Well, only about how tough it was. <laughs> and so when you when you do that, uh, you come to appreciate. Uh, the great challenges that are there for everyone in the National Football League. It's, it's a its a rare happening for someone. And so when we were getting ready to play in that game, we were preparing ourselves better than we had ever prepared ourselves for a game. And I don't mean any, any extra things that we, you would do. Right. I just mean in the way you approached it, your attitude toward it. And so it was extremely helpful for us.
0: How about Coach himself? Did he approach you guys in a different way when it came down to championship time? Did you see the stress in him and how much he wanted it in a different way, or was he just always that way anyway?
1: Well, he was always that way, but uh, he had that great, uh, again, uh, ability to reach you, touch you, uh, work with you so that this entire team was going to benefit from it, and every individual is a part of it that was in that, those teams, in, in those meetings. But so when we were ready for the game, when it came down to game day, we were well prepared. Every guy
0: seems to say the same thing. If it wasn't for Coach Lombardi, I would be so much different in my life. It really wasn't all about football, was it? I mean, he taught you a lot of things about how to run the rest of your life, didn't he?
1: Absolutely, because this man was extremely well organized relative to priorities in your life and so forth. Uh, just, just just, quickly, God, family, others, that was the order. That's how you wanted to live, how he wanted you to live your life. Well, it, it doesn't get any better than that, but how many people do you hear say things like that?
0: Not, not very often anymore, especially. That's right. I want to talk about a couple of specific games. First, the Ice Bowl. Do you remember anything <laughs> about that morning before the game thinking, you're kidding me, we're playing today? Was there that kind of a feeling or no?
1: Well, yes, it was a a very strong feeling because when it's that cold, you think, wow. (laughs) You really have to be well organized, well prepared, mentally tough about it to handle it as it should be, and uh, as you're going forward.
0: So when you got to the game... You didn't have your footing. You didn't have the conditions of a normal game. It was totally a grinded out kind of a game, was
1: it? It certainly was because uh, it had been so cold starting a couple days before that that the ground had become very, very hard. It's as hard as this table in front of us here, and I'm not exaggerating. And then as the game wore on, it, it became even tougher because it was just it was getting colder. And so the, the conditions on that field – we're not good. You're going to slip a little bit, and it was, it was tough.
0: First half of that game, you look like you started to take control. How much do you remember about that? Because I think you had at least a 14-point lead at one time in that game.
1: I think so, but uh, we also recognized what a, a tough opponent we were facing in that game. And so we knew that you could not sit on anything that you had to be constantly pursuing that goal, that right. objective of winning and in a very tough fashion and that you're not going to back off for any anything, that you had to give the best effort you had for that game throughout that game because that was the kind of game it was.
0: Dallas put the pressure on in the second oh, half. Did they and, ever. And towards the end there, it, it was really looking bleak because you guys – I remember, did not move the ball well, maybe from the latter part of the third quarter until that final drive. They were stopping you every time. There must have been major concern on
1: your sideline. There was because the Cowboys had come back and were doing exactly that. And we had great respect for them going into the game. We prepared well for it. Coach Lombardi uh, respected the Cowboys and their situation extremely well and prepared us accordingly. So we were – Geared up for it, but it was just getting tougher because of the weather and all the other circumstances. And
0: that final drive, <laughs> I almost feel like I remember every play. How much, how much of that do you re- Could you recall a lot of that even right now?
1: I do because of uh, what we were seeking to accomplish in that drive and because of the weather, the conditions on the field, and so forth. And uh, I'll, when we make this statement, then I'll feel, tell you what Coach Lombardi said, which I'll always remember.
0: Before we get to the sneak, describe that drive and some of the plays, why they were set up. To, I remember there were a lot of little short passes and just trying to pick up 10, 15 yards at a time. Mm-hmm. Chuck Mersin was highly involved in that drive, I think. Yes, he right? was.
1: He did a great job. Uh, we, we ran some key plays uh, with the fullback carrying the ball. And uh, he deserved a lot of credit for how, we, how well we were able to move in that final drive.
0: What was the uh, thinking on the sideline because of the difficulty of the previous quarter not being able to move the ball? Why were you guys able to do it better on that last drive besides urgency and desperation, obviously?
1: Well, I think we had learned a lot from the previous drives, and uh, the the ground was such that we were adjusting and I think doing a better job perhaps than than an opponent who's not accustomed daily to that kind of weather. And so that certainly helped, but we... uh, we felt very strong during that final drive. What do you
0: remember about on the goal line before the sneak, the first couple of plays where obviously footing was pretty much everything, wasn't it?
1: It certainly was. I'm glad you said that, pretty much everything. That's exactly what it was because down there at that end of the field, the ground had become so hard it was slippery. You could hardly start on it. Right. It was so hard. And uh, it was uh, a real, real tough Concern that you had to have.
0: So I think it was two handoffs before the sneak. Is that correct? Right into the line, and then there was nothing.
1: That's correct. Right. We were just getting uh, this back there to the line of scrimmage, and that was about it. It was just, again, picture this. Yeah. You turn from the center, you have the ball, and you're waiting to give it to the fullback, and a fullback is slipping and sliding trying to get to you just to get to the ball. Wow.
0: Okay, so you call a timeout. What was it? Uh, 11 seconds left or 13 seconds? Something I can. Like yeah. Okay, you go to the sideline. What do you remember about, before the, the last words of Vince, what do you remember about that little discussion?
1: Uh, I had mentioned to him that uh, we had a, the capacity to, to block well. Right. But it was tough on our linemen uh, to get much done because of slipping, their feet slipping and sliding when they were trying to block. But I said uh, we we can still make this happen, and uh, told him what by giving it to the fullback. The fullback was slipping and kind of stumbling, and I said, Coach, I'm standing upright. I can just kind of shuffle my feet and lunge in, and so help me. This is exactly what he said. He said. Well, then run it and let's get the hell out of here. <laughs> I love that. that is, and,
0: and if I remember that, you were having a hard time not laughing when he did that. Is that correct? Like when you were going back
1: onto the field? That's exactly right. I didn't want the Cowboys to see me laughing. And so I. They, I really, can you imagine them seeing you oh, laughing? It's like,
0: what the heck were they talking about think, over there? Are they telling
1: jokes or exa- what? There uh, you go, see? And that's why I wanted to just make sure I did not do that. Oh, that
0: is so great. Okay, so you come up to the line. Now, Chuck Mercene, I'm pretty sure not everybody knew this, right? You knew it, but the, the fullbacks didn't know it. Is that correct, that
1: you were going in on your own? Yes. we uh, Well, we had run the fullback uh, on a wedge right. play earlier. Right. But uh, they did not know on this particular one that I was just going to keep the ball and, and go in myself. Isn't
0: that unusual, though, they don't know the play? Because it's just like, hey, I'm taking it in. They don't even have to know because there's no blocking. I mean, they're going to be behind you anyway.
1: Well, exactly right. But uh, the the reason that we called the play and and just kept the ball from canning it all was that the line doesn't change. They were were blocking the same way. And so there was no change there that that made any difference.
0: Okay, so what do you remember on that? How nervous were you knowing it's either now or never?
1: Well, I really wasn't thinking about that so much. I was thinking about how uh, confident we were about the play. And that was what the focus was. All I want to do was make sure I didn't slip like the fullback was having a tough time slipping, that I could just shuffle my feet and lunge in. And that's exactly what we did.
0: So did you know for sure that you were in and there were no flags? I mean, did you just look around? Because it looked like there were about seven guys on top of you at the time.
1: (laughs) Yeah, it looked that way. Yes, I did. I knew I could see it easily that I had gone in there.
0: So how much elation was there?
1: It was fabulous because – They had done a good job of blocking on that particular defensive tackle, and it just took us right in. Was that more of a relief or as much
0: of a relief as anything, knowing how cold it was, the importance of the game, as like just everything all at once? We can't lose this game,
1: right? Well, we certainly could not, and we knew that, and that's why all of us down at that point in the game uh, were geared as high as we were because we knew we had to get it done. Let's
0: talk about Super Bowl I, which at the time wasn't Super Bowl I, right, yet in my hometown of Los Angeles. What do you remember about that week leading up into this game? Because it certainly did not have the hype like they do these days.
1: No, it didn't, but uh, it was uh, a very rewarding and challenging week for us because of what we, the league, the team, uh, the opposing teams, had built up going toward this. This was a huge, huge happening.
0: Max McGee, I told you this before, said to me, (laughs) we didn't want to embarrass Coach. Coach was so strongly saying, if I lose this game, it's the worst loss of my life because you're supposed to beat this team. This is the American Football
1: League. This is not the NFL. Did you feel a lot of that too? Well, yes, because we felt it because of Coach Lombardi's uh, discussions with us and to us, and yes, we felt like that this was a a real happening that we were going to have to capitalize because we had the capacity and we had the background, the training to get it done, and it's a mental thing. Right, and so you have an attitudinal situation in front of you. What you've heard me say all the time is yep. so strong that you do it.
0: The other thing in regards to that game is you always have to worry about overconfidence when you're expected to win. That's not a good thing to get the most out of you. Was that a concern amongst the guys at all?
1: No. Never? No. We just felt like the way Coach Lombardi had handled us and worked with us, that we uh, were really well prepared and that what our confidence level was, was at a level where it should have been, Right. but that we were going to emphasize it mentally. Uh, So we can go out there and take the game and win it.
0: The start of that game. guys got off to a little bit of a slow start. And then your number one receiver goes down. Uh, I talked to Max, and he said the last thing in the world he ever expected to do that day was actually even play.
1: I'll
0: tell you the story he told me. He's sitting not only behind the bench. He's, like, way in the back with Paul Horning, who didn't dress for that game. He was, I guess, injured at the time. Mm -hmm. So he didn't even play in that game. And they were talking about Paul Horning's uh, bachelor party during the game because they just said, we're going to win. And all of a sudden, this is Max telling me this, he hears McGee from the sideline. And Paul looks at him and he goes, Coach knows you came in really, really late from last night. And he's going to embarrass you in front of the whole team right now. He had no idea that Dowler was hurt. He had no idea he was going to play. And he yelled at him, McGee, where are you? And he comes running. What do you want, coach? He goes, get in the game. Get in the game. For Dowler's hurt. We need you. What were your thoughts on you probably knew that, that he wasn't in the greatest condition. I mean, I don't know. Did you know that? Did you know he was out late the previous night? Because Vince did. He ran into him in the hotel that day. At five in the morning.
1: <laughs> well, we didn't we didn't know about it that much until we were hearing some things the next morning, right? The, the day of the game, and so we, you have to take those things in stride and stride and move along. And you know that if there's anyone who could make it happen and overcome that, it'd be Max, and he did.
0: Yes, he did. First catch. What do you remember? The first Super Bowl touchdown pass. He had to reach behind him. What do you remember about that play? Uh,
1: what a great catch he made, and, and a. Father-son breakfast. A couple of days later, when they had a question-and-answer period after we'd made our statements, uh, one of the dads stepped up and he said, "Max, he said, I don't understand you." <laughs> he said, uh, "You go down a field." And he said, "Boy, you bobble the ball a little bit or something." I said, "Yet here's one that's thrown two feet behind you. You just reach, <laughs> <clears throat> you right. just reach back and plug it up, and pull it in, and score. it was a one-headed catch, is what it was." And he said, "How do you, I don't understand? It. How do you do that?" And Max looked over at me, and he said, well, that's easy. He said, I never get a chance to practice this kind. He put up both hands right in front of him, full-speed throw. In other words, his quarterback doesn't put it right in his hands. Exactly. And then he he puts his hand behind him back over here. And, of course, the whole place came apart with laughter. (laughs) But that was Max.
0: Yeah, Max was great. And then he told me that second catch, that little bobbling thing in the end zone, he said, actually, I thought I saw two or three balls. (laughs) That was left over from the previous night. You had a lot of confidence in him. But he didn't play a lot that year, if I recall. He only played like three or four games, I think, that year.
1: I don't know what his total. you talk talking about Max. Yeah, Max. Yeah. I, I don't know what the total was, uh, but it was less than it had been sometimes yeah. during, during the years. But uh, typically of Max, it was a, a situation where whenever he was called upon, he delivered.
0: Yeah, that's for sure. And, by the way, when it was all over – I said to him, you know, you could have been the MVP of Super Bowl One." And he said, this is exactly, and I'll, I'll play it for you sometime. He said, well, yeah, but he's the Bart, and the Bart gets what he deserves. <laughs> That's what he said to
1: me. <laughs> well, that sounds like Max because he was a very humble person, yeah. very proud, very uh, strong-willed, and, uh, but also extremely well-balanced yeah. about how he handled his life. Uh, before the game, during the game, after the game, late at night. uh, And after his career, too, because a lot of people forget he's one of the most successful businessmen from that era. Is he ever? Yep. He's a very successful businessman.
0: Okay, so when that game is over, was there more of a relief than a celebration like, we're supposed to win this game, and we did? Do you remember the feeling?
1: Well, it was a little bit of each because – Uh, you're thrilled when you have a big victory in a game of that magnitude. So we were. And I know that some might have thought that, that, but, uh, no, we, we, uh, we loved it. We were just very, very excited about having won it, and we were excited. Did you
0: feel it was a part of history after a while, Or did it take a long time after that? Because at the time, again, it wasn't known as the Super Bowl yet, but but because it was against the American football, did you feel a sense of history, or has that happened much later?
1: Well, we felt a little bit of something, obviously, uh, after it because of the the meaning that game took on. Sure. But then as time went on, uh, that uh, that meaning just raised, was was, pushed well on up. And what a joy to be able to sit there and hear someone talking about it and know that you were privileged to be one of those who was in it.
0: I'm sure. A couple more things. If I say the term run to daylight, describe to somebody who's never saw you guys play what that means.
1: Do the best job that you can of making the most that you can of happening in front of you with the blocking. If you were well aware of what the blocking technique was was on a particular play, then you would know how to react to it if there was a slight uh, jam up by the defense or a much more aggressively, um, oh, quicker opening of something that you hadn't necessarily anticipated. You just hoped it'd be there. But it was, I think it's a positive thing. It's one of those attitudinal points I've come back on so many times. I love it. It's just, I do too, you just get ready for a situation. So it really comes down to preparation, almost everything, doesn't it? Absolutely. Preparation is vital in anything that we do in our lives. Of course. And those are the great lessons that are learned by that. So do you think you had a better team
0: overall than most, and that's why you won, or you were more prepared than most teams. What do you think, or is it a combination?
1: I think it's a combination, but uh, we were extremely well prepared. But we had taken that preparation, that uh, teaching and coaching from Coach Lombardi with us right to the game up through the last uh, session as a team, to on out and on the field, practicing before the game, working up, starting the game with a kickoff, bang, you're ready to go, and here you are. You've worked your way up through all of this throughout the season to this time.
0: What's it like to be the quarterback of, if not the greatest dynasty, certainly one of the top few in the NFL, knowing the legacy that will be there forever?
1: Very humbling Uh very special feeling you recognize the true as i mentioned to you earlier the true meaning of the word team and that's why i love to do it because all you have to ask a person is just go spell it and listen to them together everyone achieves more and it's that simple It's
0: that simple. That's in all of life, as a family, as a company, as a
1: whatever, or in sports, right? That's right, because that's how you get it done. You don't do it individually. Individuals contribute, but you do it as a team.
0: Last thing, living in Birmingham area forever, right? How often do you ever go through a day where somebody doesn't say, hey, there goes Bart Starr? I mean, that's got to be a wonderful feeling that, that you're very recognized, isn't
1: it? It is a, a very uh, strong feeling, it is, and I am humbled by it because I recognize, any time I hear it or see it, I recognize the, the number of people who contributed to that word team that I've spelled for yep. you twice today already. Yeah. Because when you recognize and you understand that that is what gets it done, it brings you right down to where you ought to be. That's on both feet, standing right next to all of your teammates, working as best you can to get back up to that top notch.
0: And to sum up the entire Bard Star story, how do you want people to always remember you by the ones that never saw you play or the ones that enjoyed seeing you play? How do you sum it up
1: from your standpoint? Uh, a very grateful performer. I was fortunate to be with a, a very special Team, and that's why I want to keep going back to together, yep. everyone achieves more. But see, it says everyone. Right. And then we recognize that our great coach, Coach Lombardi, brought us through all of this and all the way up to that top shelf level. You have to appreciate how, how uh, organized and beautifully uh, taught you were because of that great man amazing, isn't it? it One is. guy changed everything over oh, there, didn't he? He certainly did. Because, he was I mean, a you guys, fabulous man. And you guys had a
0: very good team, but you just didn't know how to get over the hump until that guy showed up. Is that correct?
1: That's just about it, yes. yes. We were getting and working our way up and getting better. But he came along with the leadership talent that we lacked and we needed there at Green Bay. And because of his strength and because of all the pluses he had going for him, he took us right on up till we got to the top.
0: Bart, I was a Packers fan as a kid. It's a total pleasure to meet you today, and I enjoyed every second of it.
1: Well, thank you. I enjoyed chatting with you. This has been fun to talk about. it. <laughs> thanks, and let's do it again soon. I'm all for it. All right, thanks, Bart. I appreciate it. Oh, you're it. welcome. You're thank fantastic. you. Fantastic. Hi everybody, this is Vin Scully and let's get back to Ted Sobel.
0: It's only fitting we go from Starr to McGee. Max McGee was always one of Starr's favorite receivers to throw to. He played for 11 seasons in Green Bay, one in 1954 after he was drafted out of Tulane and then went to the servers for a couple of years, came back and played from 57 to 67, and he too won five NFL championships, including the first two Super Bowls, was a pro bowler, a first-team all-conference player, and in the Green Bay Packers Hall of Fame. But when most people think about Max today, they think about Super Bowl one at the LA Coliseum. And oh did Max love coming to Southern California? He loved to party here, hang out with his buddy Paul Horning, they went to the bars, they went to the clubs. And they played a little football, too. But this was nearing the end of McGee's career, and he came here to enjoy a great vacation and had no idea that he would end up being the co-star of Super Bowl One. after spending a night out on the town and even into the very early morning where he bumped into some guy named Vince Lombardi on his way to his room after breaking curfew. It's a great story, and Max tells it like nobody ever could. And I sat down with the outgoing Max 15 years ago, right down the street from Lambeau Field. All right, let's talk about Super Bowl One, Max will reminisce a little bit in the week leading up into this game. Uh, what do you recall, Max, about, uh, about the hype on this game? Because you guys were such big favorites at the time, it would have been a shock if you didn't win that game, right?
2: Well, it was a perfect situation for Vince Lombardi. You know, when you're that big a favorite and you had so much pride in the NFL versus this upshot bunch of dummies from the AFL. You know, that's the way Vince looked at it. That He probably worked harder that week than he worked in his entire career to make sure we didn't have a letdown. Because we'd look at films, and frankly, some of those teams were kind of funny. You know, not the Kansas City. They were a good football team. And there was two or three real good football clubs in that division, but... Boy, a lot of them were kind of funny, and so we had a few laughs during the week watching movies. (laughs) And let's
0: say a couple of days Mm -hmm. before, uh, was it something where um, Vince had to really get on you guys to to get you up for the game? It was a championship game, but again, the mindset was different.
2: Well, Vince was, uh, you know, he was the immortal uh, god at getting teams ready to play football and not having letdowns, and he knew... He pushed us harder that week than we'd worked all year, including training camp, because he didn't want to let down and go out and embarrass the NFL. That was his big deal. I do not want to embarrass the National Football League, and uh, I think we felt that. You know, we were ready to play football. We didn't know what to expect. Uh, we'd watch a lot of movies, but you know, you just don't know what to expect when you play in a totally different league. And but, uh, and you know, I wasn't planning on playing myself. I'd. Uh, I'm just there for the ride to L.A. and check out Hollywood and a few bars I used to know and had no idea I was going to play football the next day. And, of course, that's the first foot. Uh, I think the history has shown that Boyd shouldn't have got hurt that day, see? Otherwise, you'd be talking to him now instead of me. <laughs> that's Boyd Dollar I'm talking about. Exactly. What day did you guys
0: come into L.A., and what did you do immediately? Did you guys get in a, a good practice
2: there no, we came in early because at early in the week. We did all our practice there. We stayed down in uh oh, south of L.A. and uh, I can't remember the exact town. No, it was wherever it was. We stayed where there's a university. We had a place to work out. But Vince wanted to get at us. You know, we couldn't work out up here. We didn't have an indoor spot to work, so we were frozen out of a place to work out. And to really work out, we took out there like on a First of the week, and, heck, I thought it was great. You know, I'm getting a little holiday here in the sunshine of California. That was great. So, But uh, it was hard to sneak out during the curfew times because it's so far. If you went to L.A., it's too far to get back before morning. Do you remember, uh, and I'm, I'm not going to ask you to
0: get into total detail, but do you remember a few of the places that you did hit the night before? Because uh, I'm wondering if there's some really famous spots that aren't around anymore and people from Southern California would remember.
2: Well, I'm sure they would if I could think of them. What was the most? I think tell me. The, S- there
0: was Scandia. There were that was a famous place. Though, no, Derby and some bars out in Hollywood, obviously. Yeah.
2: Our favorite bar where Horning and I hang out, uh, hung out for a lot of a uh, you know off season, the Pro Bowl and that kind of stuff. There's a very famous bar there. I can't even think of it myself. But that's where I kind of ended up after I came back and made curfew, and then I took a little. Uh, trip back to to uh see what was going on at the bars and <clears throat> i actually got in at you know five or six in the morning feeling i was feeling okay <laughs> not for a football game you're <laughs> i sure as hell wasn't planning on playing football but I was, I was feeling pretty good okay now let's go all the way up to the point where you guys
0: started the game i think if i recall you, you the team started out a little bit slowly you never really trailed in the game but you couldn't put them away until really in the second half
2: right Well, I think they scored first. I think they got a field goal. They got a field goal first. And you're right. We had uh, maybe punt once or so. And it was only either the second series that, that, boy, Dowler got hurt, which uh, got me into the game. And, uh, you know, I'm not supposed to play in this game even if Dowler gets hurt. You know, he hadn't played me all year. But knowing Vince, I had a – him and I had a pretty good understanding about what was going on in football. And, boy, he didn't want to – risk anybody that wasn't a veteran so he said mcgee get in there I almost fainted because i'm sitting there with horning we're reminiscing talking about the night before and the night after oh he's getting married Horning's getting married in a couple of days and we're getting a bachelor party all set up and all at once when lombardi yelled mcgee horning said he's gonna find you right in front of 90 million people here <laughs> for getting out last night so i ran up and said get in there and uh, of course the rest is history i I was in a few plays and Bart threw me a little quick post, bloop, touchdown, and uh, ended up having a, a kind of a banner day for a an old guy that was 35 years old that hadn't had any sleep. <laughs> was it that first catch that was a touchdown? Yes, the one that you grabbed from the side. Yeah, the, Bart. I always kidding Bart. I said, uh, you know, I, I told him that you know it'd make me look good here because my last game and. So he did. He threw it way behind me. And I just reached back, and it actually stuck in my head. I was I was going to make sure the guy didn't get an interception. Damn thing stuck, and he went behind me, and I went over the goal line. That was about it. Ooh. And how
0: and how shocked were you at the time when thinking well, I shouldn't even be playing here? What is this all about? This is phenomenal.
2: Well, you know, I think if you start every game from high school, college, and the pros for thirty years, uh, there wasn't much shock to it. You know, I, that was what I was supposed to do. You know, it's catch footballs and make touchdowns. That was kind of my job. But the, I will admit I was a bit surprised, uh, <laughs> number one, to be in the game, and number two, to get this opportunity. Because now once Bart found out that things were working, and he went to me pretty regular that day, and I got another touchdown on a similar play, and it turned out to be a heck of a day.
0: A little surprised you didn't get MVP, though, because it could have gone either way between you and
2: Bart. Well, you know, Horning, Horning and I are sitting on the bench. Like I say, we're talking about... He says, Jesus Christ, McGee, you're going to be MVP of this game. I said, you're kidding me. I said, no, that's exactly what I said. I said, no, they'll give it to the Bart. He's a quarterback. <laughs> but, you know, I think uh, here's Bart who, who, you know, all year was the main man behind that offense, and I think it was only fair that he become MVP. I mean, if they'd, have, if they'd have wanted to, if if I'd have played all year, I would have probably got MVP. But who wants to make an MVP out of a guy that walked off the bench and hadn't played for the whole year? <laughs> What do you remember what Vince uh, told you after the game? He must have said something special. Well, Vince, uh, in his usual way, I heard him doing a interview, you know, when they come in, and here's the exact words I heard. He's, the guy says, gee, was that a great uh, deal, you picking McGee and sticking him? And he says, oh, well, and I know he's telling a lie right here because Vince liked, you know, Vince was a great coach and everything. He liked the publicity, so. He said, Well, we were we we had uh can't remember the exact words, but we uh we had a lot of confidence in McGee and I thought this is a good spot for him or something like that, you know. <laughs> i was sitting over there laughing like hell because <laughs> I, he uh Vince was a great friend of mine, you know, both up till then, even though, you know, we hear, read all about him jumping on me for curfews and horning, but I think that's the guys that he really liked because he depended on you know you, when the pressure's on you can play. What did
0: you learn most from Vince though earlier on in your career that uh, maybe still sticks with you today?
2: Well, you know, people ask it all the time, and you look at the successful people that came out of this team. I mean, the guys that uh, went on and did successful somewhere else. That has to be an influence uh, that we got from Lombardi because it couldn't have been that many people that. You know, that really, uh, there's a lot of football players at that time that didn't do so well after football. If you played for Vince Lombardi, you left there with the knowledge of how to do things and how to win and how to, and that's exactly what most of us did. Does it feel like 40 years ago or does it feel
0: like yesterday to you?
2: 40 years ago. I I was adding that up and I said, this can't be right. It must be 20 years ago, but it, it was 40 years ago. And you know what? I come over here to Green Bay, and the Green Bay fans are the greatest in the world. But I don't know. You can walk through the lobby. Everybody says hello, Max. Everybody says this, sign this, and you can't go. Out. It's no different than if it was 40 years ago. It really is. A, it's unbelievable, and it says something for the Green Bay people. This is, this is what Green Bay is all about. It's the Packers. Let's talk
0: about the ice bowl. What do you remember about that game? And what do you remember about the mindset that morning, thinking like,
2: "Are you kidding me? We're playing a football game today." Well, you know the ice bowl and, and again horning and I uh, old roommates you know our biggest deal was how do we stay warm we know we're not going to play how do we stay warm to get through this game because I mean it was so miserable that day that football should not have been played outdoors in Green Bay believe me but by the same token you're asking about it that tells you something right there you know that was a big that's game was more remembered than the first Super Bowl and i got I got in I was. I had a little deal with Vince. He wanted me, <clears throat> when the people come off the field, I would get in the huddle and see if I could tell him if I had something, you know, that I saw. And he had that kind of respect for me. And they was so damn cold standing up there that Horning and I got two of these big old blowers, you know. and put one on each side, and we sat in the middle of them and sat there and froze. And, of course, Vince uh, all at once said, McGee, get in there. And uh, I said, oh, boy. You know, who wants to play football on a day like today? <laughs> but I got in. I managed to catch a pass. And, uh, but that was not a true, a true example of the way you play football that particular day. That, that I don't care what kind of shoes you had on, whatever. It just didn't work. It was frozen. What do you remember about the end of the game? Because obviously that's the, the the play. The
0: everybody thinks about the sneak. Uh, did you think? Did you know this was going to happen? Because I understand
2: that there was supposed to be a handoff to Mercine, and they sort of changed it. Well, I'm saying it's the first time I'd interviewed about that, and I was in it. I was in the game at that particular time. I said, "This may be a pretty dumb play here, you know," <laughs> but uh, I thought they called a sneak, and I don't remember, but. Listen when you put the hands put the ball in the hands of Bart Starr, he's going to make something happen, he's going to do the right thing, and he saw it, he took it, and the rest is history, or we wouldn't be talking about the first super Bowl <laughs> exactly and then and what about the fact that you, here you are you played in the first two Super Bowls, and
0: now, when you think about all the hype and the amazing pomp and circumstance around these games,
2: and it really wasn't anything close to that then are you amazed? Oh, totally, you know the fact that sports it's gotten so big, you know, it's just, on TV, it's like, uh, I think, it's, to me, it's, I guess, been part of it all my life. It's kind of overhyped. I almost get sick of looking at all the hype, you know. I'd rather see football and uh, all this patting yourself on the back and jumping up and down and backward flips don't really appeal to us older guys, you know. But it's still, you know, it's a great sport, and there's great athletes playing out there. And I watch these guys running out of bounds all the time, you know, and I think, oh, I, it didn't happen back in our day. We ran over the guy or threw him or something, you know. But I guess it's you know if you're paying somebody ten million a year, you don't want to get him banged up too bad. Exactly. I I have a question about. I I wonder if
0: you even remember this. And I think it was 1957. You had ten punts in one game. Do you remember that? I think it's still a record, isn't
2: it? Don't remember. I was a punter, I suppose, in those days. Yeah. Uh, ten punts. <laughs> Your well, <laughs> well, I wonder what I averaged that day. Uh, ten punts in a game. That, of course, I. You know, I don't know. Uh, normally, out of ten times, I would at least ran one on fourth <laughs> down. You know, like I. That was a. That was a great. You're talking about Vince's relationship and mine was in that first. Uh, let's see, was it the? No, Philadelphia's first championship game. And I'm sitting back there. Uh, I just scored a touchdown. It was just when Van Brocklin and McDonald and before the other league, you know, and we're playing for our first world championship. Talking about me and Vince, I'm, and I'm the punter. And it's another day where it's ice, slick. I mean, you can't. And I'm back to punt, and I look up, and nobody's coming. And we're behind, like, about uh, 13 to 10 or something. So I said, well, I can't kick this ball because I can run. Looks like I can run for 30 yards. Well, I run for 50 yards. And then a few plays later, I caught a touchdown, and we go ahead. And now i got to go face Lombardi, who had told me, don't ever run on fourth down, because he, he checked me out before he made me his punter. <laughs> so here I did on the first, his first World Championship game. And uh, Well, I didn't know what to do when I came off the field, even though I just scored a touchdown and put us ahead. And I think we're going to win our World Championship for Vince. And I come back, and Vince is on there, and I sidle way down here to one end so I don't have to face him, you know. So I'd walk a little closer. and a little, I'm waiting for him to jump all over me for running, even though it should have won us the game. Unfortunately, Van Brocklin came back, hit McDonald and Retzloff and a few guys, and they scored it late and beat us. And But I think after that, Vince had a little more, uh, he felt a little bit better about me being back there on fourth now, and you know, if the chance is there, I couldn't help it. I'd take off. You know,
0: not bad for a, I guess, a kid from Texas going to Tulane, being a running back and ending up where you did. What was the evolution of that?
2: Well, you know, the White Oak, Texas. I came. I was the last of six McGee brothers who played on ever football team that was ever at White Oak, and went to Tulane as a. As a halfback, you know, I was a pretty big guy enough you know, for those those days. I was 210 pounds. And, you know, I ran the 100 and the fit twenty You know, I was fairly quick. And uh, I was drafted. And, and as the people called me before the draft, you know how people saying, would you play with him if we drafted you and blah, blah, blah. And I and the Packers, they had me down as a wide receiver. This was just at the time football was putting, you know, some speed to the outside. Rather than having you block down on that tackle, which would never fit my personality, <laughs> so they drafted me and they told me, "said we're going to we're going to play you at flanker back." And I said, "I didn't like it much because I'm used to handling the ball. Coming from halfback all your life, and at wide receiver you get the ball five, seven, eight, ten times a game. You know, it wasn't my bag, but turned out to be a, really a, an interesting." Changed to me because uh, wide receivers you, can, you don't get beat up too bad. You know, I never like people hitting on me like. That. <laughs> and uh, so I was pretty happy as a wide receiver. And <clears throat> over the years, I continued to improve. You know, after frankly, my I got beat up by one vote for rookie of the year by uh, another wide receiver named Harlan Hill. If you remember him from Chicago Bears. He was a great receiver, and he had a big year. And, and I scored nine or ten touchdowns my rookie year, even though it was a we only played ten or twelve games. I can't remember what we were then, maybe up to twelve. But so I, I found a home. I like that running around out there amongst those little defensive backs.
0: <laughs> Last thing, when this place became Tidal town. That must have been an unbelievable time when everyone, they always rallied around their team, but when it really became big with Vince and you guys, that must have been an amazing time.
2: Well, that was an amazing era, because I think that's where pro football took its biggest jump forward. You know, I I played way before Vince, and it wasn't... Now, here, we always sold out, but we'd go to a lot of stadiums that were half full, and the TVs, we had a Saturday night TV game. I'll never forget another, my first Saturday night TV, Philadelphia. And Tobin wrote, hit me three touchdowns on my first television deal, so I kind of got the uh, reputation for being a ham, you know, just kind of playing good on it. But, uh... Gosh, what, what Vince Lombardi, I think, changed football. I mean, him and the Packers, you know, the Vince Lombardi and the Green Bay Packers beating the New York Giants and the San Francisco, beating these big-town teams, I think that's really brought pro football where it is today.
0: And were you surprised when that happened, or did you see this coming? Did you say, well, wow, we really have
2: something special here, or did it just sort of happen? I'll tell you what happened. Vince Lombardi made his first speech when he got here in front of the team, and we walked out of there, punched Horning, I said... You know, Horney, we either come. You know, we got something going here because this guy's either uh, a genius or something. But I mean, you could feel that Vince Lombardi, if there's any way possible, we were going to be winners, and it didn't take long. We started winning the first year. He, Vince Lombardi, never coached a losing team first year we were above 500 next year we were playing for the championship the next few years we won the championship so it was it was easy to see that Lombardi put it all together he was the man
0: and what would you tell someone who's you know new generation person never saw Vince Lombardi in your team what would you say what made Vince special
2: well his drive and uh, you know he he worked harder than we did. We knew that. I mean, this guy, and uh, he wanted to win worse than anybody I've ever seen. I used to play Jen Rummy with him in training camp occasion. It was like a gang fight, you know. <laughs> he didn't want to lose a hand, much less a game. You know, <laughs> But that's the way, that was his life. And that's, I, for some reason, I felt like that may have had something to do with when he left us so early, you know. He was just so intense, a very intense man. And I've, it's hard to live that way, but that was his life. I guess that's why uh,
0: that famous line, winning isn't, it is everything,
2: right? I mean, that's Vince Lombardi right on the head. I like that line about as good as any ever. It's winning isn't everything, it's the only thing. Exactly.
0: <laughs> Max, I really appreciate the time. It was outstanding to meet you.
2: Thank you very much. Enjoyed it. How
0: about those stories from Max McGee and Bart Starr? We've lost them both, but number 15 will be shining forever above. And I think you could see now why I've written my book, Touching Greatness, about so many wonderful, fun stories to share with the greats of the game like these two in Green Bay history. I hope you enjoyed my special retrospective edition of Touching Greatness, the podcast here on the Believe Podcast Network. It's been a tough weekend losing Bart Starr, but also extra special that I could share our chat from five years ago, one of the last long-form interviews he did. So until next time, I am still Ted Sobel. Thanks very much for listening to Touching Greatness.